Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this Wednesday morning, maybe the best weekend of games, I feel like, or most compelling slate of games we've had probably since the, since uh, week one. Stu, we're going to get to that in a bit. We're going to also talk about The Athletic has a really, really robust uh, series on the coaching carousel. You have a, uh, what I thought was a very interesting story that I read earlier this week on Jeff Jagodzinski. Some of your BC fans definitely remember him. Most other people are like, who? Uh, and we're going to get to your questions in the mailbag. Stu, where do you want to start when it comes to this yeah, I mean, slate I, of games? So, well, the coaching carousel series, first of all, and, and I joked last week that we've become the kind of the coaching carousel podcast. So it's called Secrets of the Coaching Carousel. We did this last year. It's just a bunch of fun stories where once time has passed, and in some cases, decades of time has passed, people talk more candidly about, hey, what actually went down? And so, um, you know, Seth Emerson, for instance, I didn't realize how weird the coaching search was when Vince Dooley retired uh, that led to Ray Goff. He has great details on that. Aaron Suttles has uh, a story about how Mal Moore, the former uh, Alabama AD, the late Alabama AD, convinced Nick Saban to take that job. Uh, yeah, the Jags story appealed to me because, I mean, I, we were covering the sport at the time. You remember how weird it was. He, they, were, they were doing great. They had two great seasons. And then his, his AD told him, if you interview for the New York Jets job, you're fired. And he took the interview and he got fired. And that was my initial reason to kind of look into it like i thought okay let's revisit that and then when i saw like where he has been since then everywhere from the usfl to poland to at one point an naia school i just like this is the this is the craziest i think coaching career trajectory i've ever seen so it was fun talking not just to him but to a lot of the people he's worked with along the way the crazy thing and again i don't know how you know a lot of our listeners definitely remember this is about 15 years ago and he was at BC. He was there two years. 
But I think for if you're it was the Matt Ryan season, if you if you need uh, a frame of reference, beats when he beat Virginia Tech on a Thursday night, a rainy Thursday back. night. Yeah. But if if you are not, if, let's say if you are under twenty five, you probably just think BD, BC has been very average at best for for a long time because they have been. You know, after Jagodzinski, it was Frank Spaziani who was a DC who was like they were very average, and then it was. In comes um, Adazio, Steve Adazio, and they were just they were just really mediocre for a long time. And the and the administration there was like, yeah, we don't we're not looking to win championships here necessarily. And so it's been very average. But when he was there, we're talking Jagodzinski, they had a top ten season in two thousand seven, and the next year they won nine games. So in two years he was twenty and eight, and then he has completely completely fallen off the radar. Yeah. The 2000, I mean, the 20, the 2007 football season in general, obviously, is one that's remembered for all the upsets and the number two team. You get teams that get to number two and lose. USF was number two at one point, and BC was number two in the country for, for a couple of weeks there, and they still ended up going 11 and three. Um, you look, it's a decision that has, you know, obviously it, it drastically impacted his career, but it also drastically impacted. The trajectory of BC football. We'll never know. Would they have been able to continue uh, winning or competing for division titles um, if that had never happened? So uh, hopefully people will check that story out on The Athletic. Uh, yeah, so this weekend's games, we talked a lot about um, Alabama-Tennessee on Sunday. We still don't know if Bryce Young will be playing or not. Uh, and I, I, will think be surprised, the op- I will be surprised if Bryce Young is not playing in that game. I feel the same way, but I've heard from people who say, you know, hey, you guys aren't doctors. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We're not, but we're not. But it is a you, you talking to, you know, like some of the quarterbacks I work with at Fox are all talking about how it's becomes a pain tolerance level thing. And if you are throwing at uh, in practice, um, you know, how how do they manage it? My guess is that's such a big game. I'd be surprised if he missed it. But clearly they miss him without it. Um, I'm very excited tomorrow. I'm flying to Ann Arbor. This will be the fourth time we've had Michigan in four games, but this is the, this is the best matchup of the four undefeated Penn state. Number 10 goes to number five, Michigan. Um, I think it's going to be, it's also the reunion of the national title team from Michigan from 25 years ago. Is it that long? Um, I ran into yeah, 97. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I ran into Steve Hutchinson, a Hall of Fame offensive lineman who was on that team last week. Hutchinson was actually uh, my broadcast partner in my first season as a sideline reporter. He was an analyst, so it was hmm. neat seeing him, and he will be there. And a bunch of, I think Charles Woodson, who's the star of that show, will certainly be there. But um, well, you've talked a lot about seeing Michigan up close. Um, the question is, how good do we think Penn State is? We talked a lot of after the Auburn win. But as time has gone on, you realize Auburn's not very good. So did we read too much into that? I don't know. Um, we know that Penn State is very good on defense. And, you know, I think for them to win this game, they're going to have to keep it pretty low scoring. I don't see them going in there and scoring, you know, 35 on Michigan. We know they have a great stable of running backs. They, they had that going into the year a few years ago. And then all of a sudden, you know, the uh, medical issues with Journey Brown and then things fell apart. And now all of a sudden they got a loaded running back room again, led by Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, and they're deep. 
Mitchell Tinsley's come in from Western Kentucky and really helped the offense. They have good tight ends. I think, you know, again, I'm not trying to summon uh, Penn State grad John Hayes back on this podcast, but we're going to find a lot more about Sean Clifford, right, and see what see what he can do on a road game against a team that now has got their D-line getting after the quarterback. And they've got some good edge rushers. It's not Aiden Hutchinson, but we're seeing guys emerge. So I think that will be a fun, you know, like we'll see, we'll find out a lot about these two quarterbacks. Certainly, um, because I feel like the jury is definitely still out on whether they are guys who can lead their teams um, to be legit national title contenders, not just really, you know, good teams. So I'm going to now rattle off a bunch of other games this weekend. You tell me which one you're most interested in. Ready? Yeah. Uh, Kansas at Oklahoma. NC State. Uh, Let me give you a comment on each and then we'll go because I don't want to just. Okay. Kansas at Oklahoma. Very interested. Not just because we're not expecting Jalen Daniels quarterback to play, but what kind of wreckage is OU going to be pulling themselves out of after the last few weeks? I mean, Oklahoma is still a touchdown favorite in this game. So. Vegas is not quite ready to say that as, as much improved is Stu is Stu bad. What's that? Is Stu ready to say Oklahoma's not as bad the, as they the no Jalen Daniels factor really throws me. Uh, now, you know, his backup looked really good uh, in last week's game, but I'm probably going to be picking the Sooners. Uh, they're going to bounce back at some point. And uh, yeah, I mean, if Kansas wins, that's just enormous, enormous story, but I think I'll be going with the Sooners. What about you? Um, I think I'll be going with the Sooners too, but Jason Bean did look really good and he's a dynamic athlete. So we'll see. Um, so Syracuse, nobody talks about Syracuse, but they are undefeated and they are hosting an NC state team that pulled off a big, uh, last second, uh, win at Florida state, despite Devin Leary being out. And we don't know that Devin Leary is going to play this week, but, um, I don't know. Any, any interest in that one? It's interest. I am believing in the orange a little bit. Um, I said a little bit. I think that if Devin Leary was 100%, I would pick NC State. He's not been. And that's why I'm going to go with the home team. They you know they played Wagner. They basically have had some time to point to this game. I'm going to go with the Cuse. I'm going to go with the Cuse as well. I think this is a big deal for them. I don't think at the end of the day, like, Syracuse, this, this is going to end with Syracuse playing in the ACC championship game. Though that would be amazing, um, but but I think they can beat an NC State team that whose quarterback might might not be playing. Um, we've got a great Big Twelve matchup: Oklahoma State at TCU, both undefeated. TCU, obviously, the surprise team here, playing at home, and um, and I don't know who to pick in that one. I'm going to pick Oklahoma State, and here's why. I know I, I, I think TCU is the faster team, but right now I feel like whenever we get in these toss-up games, unless in the Big 12, unless it involves Bedlam, and I know what happened last year, but I am gonna, going to lean towards Oklahoma State. I just feel like they have had a good feel for winning, whether it's a Baylor game, Iowa State kind of game, they just find a way to win these games. So I'm going to, that's my philosophy until they start losing them. Even, the, even though they're the road team in this one. I don't think the you know the home field advantage is that significant it, you know there at the Carter. I just don't think it's going to be like Oklahoma State is going to be rattled. They have a really experienced quarterback, and they have like a D line that 
you know, is almost like a D line you'd expect at BYU in terms of seniority. So I think they'll be able to handle it. Did you know, I didn't realize this, but somebody pointed it out on Twitter. Did you know Spencer Sanders still has another year of eligibility left after this one, if he wants it? I feel like some of that is, is, uh, you know, because of the COVID year you get, you know, it's just, we're still riding that out. We are. Um, but I just, I was like, really? Cause he's a four year starter. And I remember he redshirted, but yes, that is, it's like Kenan hooker. I mean, you can, you can redshirt a year and be a starting quarterback for five seasons, uh, because of the COVID year. Okay. Um, LSU, Florida, always a, always a heated rivalry game. Obviously LSU is coming off a bad loss and Florida is a very, to me, it's still a very hard team to read. Basically, which Anthony Richardson do we get against LSU? Yeah, I feel like how does LSU pick up the pieces after last week? I don't, I don't know. You know, Brian Kelly is hanging with Jaden Daniels and, you know, instead of Garrett Nussmeyer, I think he has just more faith and trust in Jaden Daniels, especially on a road atmosphere. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see how, much like Oklahoma, I'm curious to see how LSU responds. I don't like, I don't think, you know, getting beat bad by Tennessee at home is not great, obviously, but I think Tennessee's really good and people realize it. I think if you follow that up with a clunker at Florida, who I don't, you know, is under unranked. And I, I feel like that would be more like, Ooh, this is kind of a, kind of a wince, you know? And also, um, Look, I think the little detail stuff, like they've been really bad on special teams. We talked about this in relationship to Brian mm-hmm. Polian a couple of weeks ago. They cannot afford to, to, to have that on the road in addition to some of their other struggles now. Interesting subplot to this game. Billy Napier was, you know, the very successful coach at Louisiana Lafayette. They did not want he, any part of the Louisiana Lafayette coach at LSU, or at least Scott. Well, the, did Scott Wordward didn't because he wasn't, you know, uh, clearly Scott Wordward was death was you know, c- determined to get a big name coach, which he ended up getting. But I, I have to assume some LSU fans wanted Billy Napier, right? I mean, and certainly we know Billy Napier would have wanted that job. So it would be, it would be um, interesting for him. Yeah, I would imagine you'll see him quite excited after this game if they win. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This one is going to be my... uh headliner of the day other than Alabama, Tennessee and Penn State, Michigan. And that's Clemson at Florida State, because it's been so long since that was a a game that you uh, might think Clemson might lose or could lose. I'm surprised. I, I guess I'm a little less two weeks ago. I would have been more into this, but you got Florida State who comes in here having lost back to back games. I not as 
like I, I'd like to watch it, but I'm not like this would not be one of my top three games of this weekend. Of interest. Well, here's my thing with Florida State, and maybe I'm just completely out on an island. I think they're actually pr- really good, and they just keep finding ways to lose these games. I mean, all they had to do last week, right, is not turn the ball over. And what do they do at the end of that game? Um, you know, uh, all they do is was settle for, you know, set up the game winning field goal. And he throws the interception. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. Now, some people, because Mike Norvell has struggled so much his first few years, are just like, well, he's hopeless. Like, they're just never going to turn it around. So this is a big one, right? I mean, if you're somebody who's on the fence about Norvell, beating number four Clemson would go a long way uh, toward that. And if they lose, it's going to be a lot of, oh, well, same old, same old. Can I ask you this? So, so what, what's been good for Florida state, like Alex Atkins, the O-line coach, and now the OC has done a really good job. They were awful on the O-line, you know, at the end of the Jimbo tenure and it carried over. And, and now they're averaging almost six yards of carry. You know, you look at what Warden Benson do, those guys have been really effective. Right. And so they mm-hmm. have that component, but I want to ask you this because you, you kind of said it before you think they're really good. You may be on an Island. Do you think they're like a legit top, 10 team good or do you think they're like a like i think they're more like a top 25 you know eight and four kind of good they're good yeah, which is way I, better I think than they they're do. um look nc state's ranked 14th and they they could have easily won that game last week so i think they're around they could be around a top 15 to 20 team but you know like you said i mean if they lose this week um they've still got to play at miami at syracuse obviously florida at the end of the year you know they could end up seven and five and everybody's be calling for dion so none of none of those teams by the way that you mentioned florida and miami they're not that good miami's not very good well i probably shouldn't have thrown miami in there they're not good at all by the way since since middle tennessee went in there and and routed them since then they lost 45 30 at you to utsa and last week they lost 41 to 14 to UAB. So as the week's gone on that Miami, the Miami getting not just losing, but losing decisively to them oh, looks get, worse and worse. Yeah. They gave up a ton of big plays. I do think, I, I do think as they get a little healthier in terms of the skill positions, they can be, they can start to kind of pick up some of the pieces, but still I would not like circle. I know it's a rivalry game, but you know, you look at Florida state, I don't think it should take that much. If you look at what's remaining on their schedule, um, you know, I think they're about the same as Florida, to be honest. I feel like Florida is kind of a fringe top 25 team, and that's kind of where I think Florida State is. And then last but not least, a very intriguing Pac-12 matchup, USC at Utah. USC 6-0. Utah's lost twice, and guess who's favored in this game? The Utes. Yeah, Utah was favored last week against UCLA as well. Um you know, look, I, I think it hurts them that they don't have Brant Keithy. He's one of the best players on the West Coast. They're tight end. Cam Rising has played well. Uh, I Who are you picking here? Because, I mean, to me, this is the first real – again, Oregon State gave USC a game. But this is the first time I think this is a team that physically is a real problem for USC. Yep. Look, Utah – People make fun of like the lack of fan support in the Pac-12 and all the empty seats. Utah is a legit hostile place to play. Um, I think USC is going to have their hands full. I think Utah, you know, is 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 
like they're, I'm not ready to say, oh, they were they were fraud. They shouldn't have been ranked that high. I think they're still pretty good. So I, I'm going to take the Utes. Okay. Wow. That is, I think that's a little bit of an ambitious pick. Um, You're going with the Trojans? I am. I think I am. I, I feel like the Utah defense really got pushed around last week by UCLA. Yeah. I think UCLA presents different problems than, than USC does. I mean, whereas, you know, look, I mean, I don't know if Clark Phillips, who, who is arguably the most, you know, the, the best cornerback, at least on the West Coast, I don't know. He had his hands full with Jake Bobo last week, who's a bigger, yeah. big receiver, who's a really good route runner. Um, you know, Jordan Addison's a smaller receiver. And does he travel with him? I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see. I think. To me, the most underrated player on USC, at least on the offensive side of the ball, because I think Tui, Tui Pelotu has been a really terrific defensive lineman. But I I think, and again, this is not a knock on Caleb. It's not a knock on Addison. I think Travis Dye has been fantastic for them. I think he's going to have a big game against Utah because you watched, I mean, Zach Charbonnet had basically 200 yards last week and was just gashing them. And I think USC can do that as well. Utah's defense has been a big disappointment. I mean, that's you. I think it's one of those things where, oh, it's Kyle Whittingham. It's the, they'll always be good on defense. Well, how's this for, for a weird coincidence? I just looked up the defensive rankings, yards per play nationally. Number 64, USC. Number 65, Utah. Now, the difference is USC has been forcing turnovers. You know, it, it is, it is, they have been pretty much exactly what Alex Brinch wants his defenses to be in terms of wreaking havoc. So, I may come to regret that pick, but I'll stick with it. One thing in fairness to um, to Utah, they have played a couple of really, really talented running quarterbacks. I mean, the opener, they had to deal with Anthony Richardson in the last game. They had to deal with DTR. I don't know if I would yeah, well, say guess who they have to deal with now. I know, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think USC has seen anybody like offensively that presents those kinds of problems yet. True. So, and I, I still think Cam Rising's a good quarterback. He's just had two, you know, obviously the top, the, the pick in the end zone against Florida and then the pick six last week that basically just swung the whole game. So um, he's had some unfortunate uh, turnovers, but I do think he's a really good quarterback in general. So it is mailbag time. As always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. And we are going to start, with friend of the program, Jason Garluski in Columbia, South Carolina. Bruce and Stu, great podcast as always. Thank you, Jason. It seems that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State are considered to be in a tier of their own and are guaranteed to make the playoff while everyone else is just playing for that fourth playoff spot. Is it possible for one of these three big teams to actually miss the playoff? If so, who would it most likely be and what would the roadmap look like? Absolutely. Um it would not be the first time that people will convince themselves that these teams are unbeatable and they know they don't turn out to be beatable. I mean, the obvious one right in front of us, right? Obviously, Alabama looks vulnerable. They could lose at Tennessee this week. And then maybe they lose a second game, you know, in particular in the SEC championship. And once they get to, you know, two losses, they're probably out. I mean, I think they would have made it if they'd lost, if they had two losses last year. Um, but their competitor for the fourth spot was Cincinnati. If the competitor for the fourth spot this year is the Pac-12 champ at 12 and one, that's a different story. 
And then Ohio State, I mean, here's my thing about Ohio State. Everybody thinks they're unbeatable. Everybody, the people argument from their one team. CJ Stroud's putting up crazy numbers. But Notre Dame is still the best team they've played to this point. Um, and I'm just, I'm worried that people are making the same mistake they did last year, which was they would just kill people, uh, especially in the horseshoe. And then they finally go play Michigan. Michigan's a really tough physical team. And all, all of a sudden, CJ Stroud's not throwing six touchdowns. So, um, that they play at Penn state in a couple of weeks and that'll be a real interesting test for them. But you know, their path to missing the playoff is lose to Michigan or lose to Penn state. UGA is the one I have trouble seeing missing the playoff. What about you? Um, I think they all have, you know, the two sec schools to me have the harder road, because if you look, you see, you know, they have to go to uh, Alabama also has to go to Ole Miss pretty soon. That's not going to be easy. Now Jackson dart has, got to take care of the ball better, but they have two really good running backs. We know Lane can give them problems as a play caller. So I, I don't think that's a gimme. I The other thing for Georgia that to me gets interesting, because I, I definitely think Tennessee has a puncher's chance, but they come off of that Tennessee game and they got to go to Starkville. Like, mm-hmm. like I could see them having some problems there like will rogers quietly or sort of quietly is having a terrific season um they're dangerous you know and then obviously like you said it's the it's the you know their conference championship game is the hardest of the conference championship games because whether it's georgia or tennessee who comes out of the east um we think it's certainly alabama that's coming out of the west but it's like there's no coastal in the sec yeah coastal or big 10 west yeah yeah, like Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, to me, like the Big Ten championship is this round robin of Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and Penn State coming up. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. So you you kind of broached it, but like if there's a two-loss SEC team, meaning somebody stumbles somewhere along the way and then loses in the SEC title game, mm-hmm. I mean, I could see, you know, ESPN show talking itself into, yeah, well, they played the toughest schedule or whatever. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. To me, it's hard to say, all right, you're going to have a two loss team that's coming off losing in the conference title game, even if it's a close game, but, but unless you have an undefeated big 12 team, let's say, unless it's Oklahoma state, I don't think a one loss big 12 team with the feeling on that league, especially with Texas and OU both, especially OU being awful. Um, I don't think that league is going to have a one loss champ go over a two loss sec team. So you, you know, think let, let's say, let's say Oklahoma State is a twelve and one Big Twelve champ with I don't know two maybe three top twenty five wins, and then Alabama will just say loses to Tennessee this week, then gets to Atlanta at eleven and one and loses to Georgia. You think that eleven and two Alabama team is going over the twelve and one Big Twelve champ? I do because what you're looking at is you know. I don't think you're going to see any top, any top 10 wins for Oklahoma state in the process. You got Baylor that was on the road They're, They were ranked 16th when it happened. You got TCU, which is also on the road, which is going to be ranked 13th or 15th or whatever it is, but it's not a top 10. You're going to have Texas coming up, which we think Texas will be ranked, but you're not, you could have a, you could have maybe four or five top 25 wins on the schedule. The problem I think they're going to have is no top 10 opponents. Yeah. And I, you know, I could also see a case where 
a bunch of these schools that were in the top 20, maybe, maybe like seven and five by the end of the year. And I just think the power brokers who are in that committee will talk down the worth of the big 12 is saying, yeah, there's some pretty good teams, but there's nobody great. Look, as good as Kansas has been early, you know, without Jalen Daniels for the, you know, if he, if he's missing a, a long stretch of the season, you know, what happens if Kansas is seven and five and, you know, like I just think you may it have also a depends on who you lose way. to, you know, if, if, if Alabama, I guess the end of the season, they have two losses, but they were to number six, Tennessee and number one, Georgia. That's going to look different than if like Oklahoma State's one loss is to uh, Kansas State team that ends up seven and five. But, you know, that all makes everything you're saying makes total sense. It hasn't happened yet. Right. At the end of the day, they've yet to put a two loss team in there. They say they emphasize conference championships. So I would still I would still without knowing the exact like how do they look? I test all that. Uh, I would I'm still inclined to say a one loss power five champ is always going to get in over a two loss non-champion, but anything's possible. All right. We have some coaching news this week. Uh, Matt rule fired by the Carolina Panthers. Everybody's already ready to put him at a, at a college job in 2023. Jim Weber, uh, frequent, uh, tweeter at us. Um, obviously loyal listener. Hey guys, love the pod. Quick question. If Matt rule comes back to college football, where would you see him landing? I, the two most likely destinations to me would be Nebraska, Matt Rule, Penn State guy, you know, Big Ten guy. I could see him possibly being, you know, a c- candidate. I don't know if this is the one where you go like, yeah, I'm coming back for that. Now, obviously, he turned down Oregon to become the head coach at Baylor when Baylor was in disarray and is coming out of Ian McCaw, you know, Ken Starr slash Art Bryles scandal. And he went in there and was phenomenal what he did there. I mean, if whoever gets him, you're, I think you've done well. But, you know, it's that or, or potentially Auburn. Like, I don't see Matt Rule coming back to go, yeah, I want to be the head coach at Arizona State when they're, no. you know, you know, or I, and I, I don't see him going to Auburn. I don't see him going somewhere. Yeah, it doesn't like seem a like a grinder like, like that. Like that fit. Now, what I don't know. Somewhere along the way, I saw this, and I'm trying to remember. Brady Quinn might have tweeted this, tweeted off this because somebody had speculated, "Oh yeah, that maybe Texas A&M has big money people, and they're going to get rid of Jimbo, and Matt Rule's going to go in there." I'm like, <laughs> "Nope, that's an insane amount of money you'd be talking about gobbling up at this point." I don't see the Texas A&M piece. I it wouldn't surprise you. Matt Rule was like, "You know what? There'll be more big jobs potentially come open two years from now in 2024." Maybe I hold my fire and just kind of recharge my batteries. And, you know, if he doesn't really want Nebraska, I would I would say to you, if I give you these two, two, and look, you know, maybe there's a wild card in here. If Mickey Joseph keeps winning, then maybe Mickey Joseph coaches his way into, into a job at Nebraska. But let's say it's this. Lance Leipold, former Nebraska assistant, or Matt Rule, who would you want if you were Trev Alberts as your head coach of those two? Well, Tough question. Let me ask you this. At the time he goes to make the hire, is Kansas this has Kansas by then ended up finishing nine and three or six and six? Because that while that shouldn't be the reason for making the decision, it will um it will have an impact. 
If it's nine and three, you think they're higher Lance Leipold. If it's six and six, you think they would take I a think swing. It's a harder choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm actually my answer would be what yours was, which is I think he takes a year off and waits to see what the landscape. I mean, I I don't want to fire somebody six games into their tenure. I know what you're o- gonna say. The Oklahoma coaching job could be open uh in 2024 and, and who knows what else i mean who would have predicted the the you know oklahoma job would have been open this year right or the notre dame job so um that that's 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 my hunch okay josh says as an auburn fan it's frustrating to see the same recurring problems transcend coaches ad's and school presidents we've fallen behind in coaching we've fallen behind in recruiting and we've fallen behind in nil Right now, we are in a unique position where Auburn has a brand new president, a vacancy for AD. It just, <laughs> let me pause for a second. Doesn't it seem like Auburn always has a brand new president or they're about to hire a president? Like they go through presidents like Spinal Tap goes through drummers. Uh, and a soon-to-be vacancy for the head coach. Clean slate. We can hire anybody in the world. How do you get Auburn back to being competitive in the SEC? My first thought, and I'll, I'll open it to you, is you got to get everybody on the same page. You can't have all... You know, you can't have boosters trying to secretly uh, get Kevin Steele to, to, to be the coach or, or to fire Brian Harson after one season. Like people actually have to whoever this brand new president ADR have to actually be able to do their jobs. Yeah, I mean, look, it was a everybody. A lot of people really like Alan Green, the the AD who got forced out of there. That was a really, really bold and bad hire that they made there you know, and Brian Harson, And at some point this year, they're going to make a coaching change and you're going to inherit a class that's probably going to be the worst recruiting class in the SEC, but it's Auburn. You can, like, you you have, um, you have power hitter potential there because we've seen Gus Malzahn coached in a national title game and Gene Chizik won a national title. You're in a lot of, you got a lot of talent. You have, you have some, you know, some cachet there. The alignment is a big piece. You know, does Deion Sanders become the guy that would you'd say, all right, he can fix it? Do you bring in, you know, Travis Williams, who's done a really good job as the DC at UCF and partner, you know, pair him with it? You know, by the way, Deion's running air raid with uh, Brett Bartoloni, who's a former leech player. I mean, I think that would be an interesting mix in there if you're saying all right we're gonna we're gonna take our chances and go hey this guy could have a huge impact with recruits and flip this in a hurry we know he's as charismatic as anybody in football it's going to change our profile a little bit but we need this because we just went in a direction that made seemingly no sense you know whereas do you do you look at it and say, all right, well, we know Lane Kiffin can win in the SEC. We don't know if he can win a national title per se, but he's done a really good job at Ole Miss. I'm not totally sure he would leave Ole Miss for Auburn. Um, Once upon free- a time, a, a, a coach turned future senator left Ole Miss for Auburn after saying they'd have to, well, shoot, what did he say? Carry him out and carry, carry him out on a pine, pine, pine yeah. box. If, if Auburn could get Lane Kiffin, I would get Lane Kiffin. Do you think you would take could- Lane over Dion? Gosh, Dion is is such a wild card. I just don't know. Um, I think if you were saying you take Coach X over, like, I, I'm excited for Dion. It's just that I know Lane Kiffin can win in the SEC. Um, do you? If let me ask you this: 
if you could give Auburn a mull, if Auburn could get a mulligan, do you think they would take back? Do you think they would? I'm not saying now they would take them back. Do you think you would go back in time and keep Gus Malzahn, who beat uh, Nick Saban three times, who took him to the national title game, but people just kind of got sick of going eight and four? I think I, no, I don't think they would. I think they were kind of over it. It's very rare where, where college programs go. Yeah, we we were happier with that before. I just don't right. think that's the case. I think they were kind of like he had a long run. He did some good things. Um, you know, not that the I, I don't know what I'm about to say. I don't know if it counts for anything, but like Gus Malzahn was not like Bobby Petrino or somebody who's like kind of is going to embarrass your program. Right. You know, at the end of the day. So um, and look, I think Gus Malzahn has done a pretty nice job at UCF in there. Um, but I just think they were kind of over it. Like to me, this is a job potentially that has three major wild cards that could. And let's say we're not sure if if the fit seems like Matt Rule would go with this. But Dion, Lane Kiffin and Freeze. And I don't know how Greg Sankey would, would be like, yeah, you can have freeze back in the SEC. Or I don't know if he put his thumb on the scale with any of that or whatever. I mean, you hear rumblings of, of that. I don't know if I buy that or not. But we know freeze can win in the SEC. I, I just the more I think about it, the more I love the idea of Kiffin there. Kiffin against Saban. Kiffin obviously does a great job of bringing attention to a place. And Auburn's not even really off the radar. Like they, they get coverage as it is. Um, and I... I think Ole you don't Miss, love the idea of Dion in the the guy this the co-star the Black uh, commercial really, yeah yeah I do I like them both I think either one would be exciting um, I think Kiffin's the safer pick just because like Dion is is doing great great at Jackson State don't get me wrong but Kiffin's doing great at an SEC program so that's why I say that um, no free no no feeling on freeze you would not touch him. It's not that I wouldn't touch him. It's that there's okay. Let's say Kiffin's like nah, not not. Freeze has Freeze has beaten Nick Saban multiple yes, times. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Um, that would be uh, Auburn's going to have options, and and I would to Josh. I, I wouldn't be. Josh seems very discouraged and down, and I would just yeah. Say, don't be discouraged if you're. Jo- you got options. Yeah. You 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 can, people know you can win there. Um, one. I, I will bet money that the next Auburn coach will have top 10 seasons. I don't know if he'll win a national title, but the next Auburn coach will end up doing a lot better than the, than the current one. That's not saying anything, but like, I think the next Auburn coach will end up like, I don't think they're going to screw up the next, next. Now they may get in trouble at some point, but the playoffs <laughs> right around, you know, maybe shortly after they get a new coach, the playoff is going to go to 12 teams and the next Auburn coach will have Auburn in the playoff fairly soon after he takes over i'll say that i don't disagree with you i i'm kind of leaning that way too i think they have good options i think at some point one of those options you know potentially could be like "Ooh, this is going to get wild in here but i think those just don't sabotage work. it you know if that new coach goes seven and five the first year don't try to don't stage a coup and try to fire him um this last one bruce uh is actually a question i've been i've been getting a lot so i just want to go ahead and answer it for everybody which is from Adam in Houston, what is the rationale behind the rule that a new FBS team is ineligible to play in a bowl game for a certain number of years? If James Madison, who, by the way, entered the top 25 this week in their first season in FBS, goes nine and three or 10 and two or manages to be the highest rated group of five team, 
is the NCAA really going to block them from playing over this rule? Uh, yes, they will. And it's not even about blocking them. They're just, they're just not eligible. They, they're not even eligible for their conference championship game. The, the reasoning from what I've been always been told, and by the way, it's actually loosened a little bit. It used to be a two-year uh, transition period. Now you can do it in one. It's just to have some sort of deterrent to keep teams from just kind of willy-nilly moving up to FBS, like having a couple good seasons being like, hey, why not? Let's move up to FBS. Like it's a big financial commitment. You got to offer a lot more scholarships. It's kind of a, are you sure? Are you really sure you want to do this? And if you are, that's great, but you are going to have to um, sit out the postseason for the first year. Next year, Conference USA, Jacksonville State is coming up, and Sam Houston, your recent uh, national champion. And you know just who, you know, the head hot off the presses, Kennesaw State, uh, their board approved them moving up to Conference USA. I believe that would be the year after. You know who the head coach of Jacksonville State is, right? I do. Uh, it is it is none other than our good, you know, friend of the, friend of the show, friend of, friend of your former show. Yes, former uh, former colleague of mine at CBS. Yes, Rich Rodriguez. Right. Um, how about that? He'll be back in FBS next year. Um, so, and I think with the playoff, you know, you have this expanded playoff with six automatic berths now. Because I always thought, I always kind of wondered why these schools want to move up. Like, if you're a team that's con- like North Dakota State is very happy just winning national championships at the level they are. If they moved up to the mountain west suddenly they go from playing for national championships to playing in the idaho potato bowl but with the playoff you have a chance you win your conference to go to the playoff so i think we will probably see even more fcs teams trying to move up uh this is the the deterrent though is the is the postseason ban as As always always, there you go your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time